0: Hello and welcome to CIO Live here in ASEAN. My name is Chris Holmes, Editor-at-Large, and as part of our leadership series where we talk to tech leaders across the region, I'm pleased to welcome Patricia Drucken, COO at Bell Procurement Management. Patricia, welcome. How are you today?
1: Hi, Chris. I'm, I'm doing well, thanks. Lovely to be here.
0: Fantastic, and I know we're going to have a great conversation today. Um, particularly interested in your move from a CTO role to a, to, to a startup, and mm-hmm. I think that's going to be very interesting. But you know, before we get into that specifically, maybe you could just give us an overview of your career and sort of what got you started in technology and how you actually rose <laughs> to become CTO of a large financial organization.
1: Sure. Well, um, it, it started very early on. Um, I always had a very keen interest in technology. My dad. Um, was um, sort of technology interested uh, and, and very fortunately, Santa brought me uh, a computer one year, a Commodore 64, my very first ever computer. And, um, and I was also really fortunate as in my schooling years, early schooling years, to have some very forward thinking teachers who were able to expose us to um, the use of technology and the applications of that with, within a learning environment. So I, I always held that with me um, all throughout my school years, but, and, and later went into university thinking I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and started off with those law courses, but gradually shifted my mind back to what I really was interested in, and that was technology. I took um, a few courses and certification. I got a diploma in technology and moved into my very first professional technology job uh, working for a software development company startup. At that time, it was Quest Software uh, based in, um, out of Ottawa and, and Halifax in Canada, um, later taken over by Dell. But meantime, I'd moved on then to a financial services role with the Bank of Bermuda in Bermuda. And I was really happy to land that. I was a desktop support engineer there at the time. And I'm talking, you know, age 23 or something like that. Um, But quickly, uh, because online technology was starting to really emerge in the financial services sector, I I moved into a role as a technical product manager for their retail and corporate online banking systems. So I really was in at the sort of... um, first first floor when it came to those emerging technologies as they were coming out of literally Silicon Valley. And that's, you know, I've worked with companies out of there to to help the bank uh, evolve. So, you know, just a sort of transition, a long time spent with, with them and then a move throughout financial services into asset management. I spent a lot of time in Edinburgh uh, working for asset managers there and transferred myself uh, very fortunately it was one of those companies to Singapore where I, um, I was capable to to make a cross move into becoming the CTO at East Spring Investments so yeah it, it sounds like a short five minutes I just said there but it's actually been a long and very rewarding 25 years.
0: And very interesting that you've gone from sort of the sun in Bermuda and uh, Singapore <laughs> to uh, back to Edinburgh and uh, Canada. So you've sort of yeah. uh, <laughs> crisscrossing the uh, temperature <laughs> yeah. zones there. So, Definitely. so I mean, but I'm really interested as to sort of how you actually got into some of those ah. that leadership role because I think that's you know that that's very interesting in terms mm. of actually how you sort of move it up to that. So maybe you could just uh, share a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. Well, I can remember distinctly that. Inflection point for me. And it was early in the Bank of Bermuda. Um, you know, the technology teams sometimes, you know, very technically focused and the team leaders, no fault of them. They're very technology focused and, and not often equipped or at least back then, certainly with the skills to lead people. And, and in uni, I, I focused on um, a few subjects and sociology, political science, that kind of thing. So I had a, a leaning towards and an interest in how people operate and the psychology behind that. And um, I, I recognized some things that could be improved within the team. And, and for that, um, I guess that was recognized in me by the leaders at the time um, who asked me to become a team leader. So, you know, I had the technology background, I was able to, um, you know, have the interest in people. And, and that's really, really how I got started. And I, it, it never really looked back. I've, I still managed to retain a lot of technology skills and use them uh, throughout my 25 year career. But I really take a lot of um, pride and, and reward out of of helping people develop. So yeah, it's always featured in in, in my in my um, aspirations.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Mm. And again, you move from this CTO role now to a COO role in a mm. much smaller organization. You know, yes. First of all, maybe you know just talk a little bit about why you were hired. What were the skills that that um, startup was actually looking for, and then maybe. Sure. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, what have been your experiences because it's very different going from a very large established organisation to a very, you know, it's a startup, it's sort of seed of the pants operations, it, it, it it's much smaller in scale.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, you know, I was I was happily um, pursuing my career as a CTO with with a financial services organization. And, you know, through my network, um, which you tend to build up over the course of 25 years, people get to know you and they get to know others and they get to know the challenges of other businesses and the startup that Bell Procurement Management, we do still consider it a startup. Um, although it, it was really a little bit of an established startup in so much as it had one or two customers. And the brief really was to come in and take a look at that organization um, and and um, break down some of the silos that had developed organically within it and, and build out a scalable operating model. So that is something I love to do and I've done many times through the course of my career through mergers and acquisitions and and all sorts of different things. And I thought this is this is a great job for me. And in addition to that, um, the technology um, elements of turning a service into a a product uh, like a technical product was also part of the brief. and when I got inside the organization, I, I learned exactly how, how, um, how much of that change was needed. So, so yeah, um, you know, what I found, going shifting gears <laughs> very quickly, from, uh, to use an analogy anyway, and I think of large organizations that I've worked in certainly as, as, as like a Formula One team. Right. So generally pointed at a common goal, you know, you'd like to think uh, whether it be in the case of Formula One to win the race, but in business to achieve some business, social or environmental outcome. But all those in those organizations, there are you know, the, the benefit in the bigger ones of large teams that are focused on risk and marketing and comms, technology. And, you know, you've got the folk who change the tires, you know, the maintenance at the pit stop um, mechanics. And of course, you've got a driver. So moving into a little startup is like taking all of those experiences from all the sort of skills and different teams that you meet. And, and for me, condensing them down into myself, and trying to apply those things to to a much smaller business. Um, The most critical thing I've learned in this move is to remember that timing and patience really are everything. Because a startup um, doesn't have the resources all the time in its people and capital to take a large co framework and drop it on top. So what I've had to do is be mindful that when introducing control structures um, that will ultimately be of benefit in the long term for the company in terms of attracting investors who are interested in stability. uh, I've had to be selective in the um, rolling out of these priorities um, of process and pragmatism. So that's not to say, you know, in a startup like ours that we've thrown all caution to the wind because, you know, they are. there are big things, of course, that need to be done first. And that's understanding the goals, ensuring the strategy is communicated in a clear way that everybody in the organization knows what what they're lining up to and ensuring the right people are in the right roles as well. Um, And that for me is also a very critical thing in a small startup where resources are sometimes scarce. So then you just get on the on with the plan and and pepper that with a gradual introduction of discipline. So yeah, that's something that I've certainly had to pause and think about as I've approached my role with with my current company.
0: That's very interesting. And I mean, you start to talk there about building the team. And Mm. again, I like the Formula One analogy. I mean, you've got very, very specialist people doing very specialist things, but then you go to a smaller organization and you don't have that luxury. Mm
1: -hmm. So, I
0: mean, what's been different in terms of like building that team from, you know, where you were before, you know, a large organization to this much smaller organization. I mean, what do you look for that's different in sort of building that startup team?
1: Well, I guess, uh, Sort of to take it back before I, I I sort of answer that one. When when you're in a large organisation, you aren't as close. Uh, generally, unless you're the CFO or you're in accounting or you're the CEO, uh, you aren't as always close to that P and L. You know the the um, how small changes uh, can really affect it, and in big organizations, sometimes it never does affect it. You know they get given a budget if they're inside a parent company, and you know they operate within those those constraints. And 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 I've often called it in uh, sometimes you know in my role as CTO or previously previous roles, a bit like pushing wooden dollars around, you know, you do get constraints, but you know, you don't feel it as much. So moving into a small company and being exposed to the, um, the the, the commercial and business challenges that really does become front and center. So you have to be um, very clear on your strategy. You have to um, set out exactly what you feel the skills you need are within the organization and point your resources at finding those right skills. So, you know, one of the first things I did um, when I moved into Bell Procurement Management was evaluate the, you know, the, the leadership team and what, what, what I needed out of a leadership team to be able to progress that strategy. And I found very fortunately, there are a lot of bright people within our organization. I was able to you know, construct that top table, if you will, for for my my particular team, um, and augment it with very specific resources that I knew we needed to um, to augment that end to end. So it was, it was more of a take the core and top and tail it with some extra skills that help give you that that life cycle that's needed. So yeah, you have to be very selective and very aware of the top and bottom
0: line. I mean, you know, we we've talked a little bit about the team, but um. You know, when it comes to actually making some of those decisions, uh, they can have serious impacts, particularly with smaller organisations.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it it comes down to uh, really understanding the strategy and what you want to achieve. Right. Um, Understanding the gaps, ensuring that all of your peers, certainly on the executive team, um, are agreed with those challenges, because you have to make those decisions together, uh, because ultimately, uh, they will affect what you can and can't do as an organization, uh, whether that organization will Sink or, or or swim. So in my mind, it's clarity, agreement, and and being very selective um, in, in applying the, the the skills and finding the right skills.
0: Fantastic, thank you. So I mean. We're talking about moving to a startup now, and when everyone thinks about a startup, we think about embracing new technology and sort of, you know, being able to do things faster, quicker, better, differently Mm -hmm. um, than what we've actually had before. So, I mean, how is actually moving into this new role, this startup role, how have you embraced some of this uh, newer technology?
1: Yeah. So, you know, and you're right. A lot of uh, whenever you hear the word startup, it immediately makes you think this is this is all about technology. Um, sometimes it's not. And, and um, although ultimately it might end up being a technology solution. And in the case of where I am today at Bell Procurement Management, um, you know, it, it was a little bit of an established startup in, in, as I said earlier, in that we have one or two customers. Um, but the, what I found was it was really coming in And assessing the digital maturity of the company first. So you do have to take some time to do do and understand that if you aren't starting from scratch already and already have a technology team, which in procurement management we did, we didn't, we don't have, we still don't have a a technology team. But what we did have um, was um, an opportunity in so much as um, our digital maturity. So many data sources, non-integrated. Many teams doing the same thing, double, triple keying, limited, reliable data. So we've had to uh, take time to draw all of these things out, understand the valid from the invalid, and, and without the resources you know, to, to hire a, a technology team, we set about evaluating our propositions' use cases and how readily available the tools we would need for supporting them are in the market. We found that yes, there are workflow tools available, but there weren't ones that wouldn't either break our budget, you know, some great products, don't get me wrong, but you know, we just couldn't afford to to use them because they're great, they're huge. um, or most, most importantly, be easily adapted to fit our continually leaning processes. You know, we're continually to, continuing to evolve them each day, um, depending on how we need to fine tune our offering. So we arrived eventually at a solution, um, last year that presents itself inside our business as a, as a no code platform. And you might, you know, that that is a bit of a buzzword in in the tech world at the moment. Um, and, and internally, we've called it one app. And what it allows us to do is to integrate uh, and lean out processes for our we, what we call procure to pay and sourcing to pay processes. So this is from sourcing suppliers, right, to um, paying the suppliers and, and receiving payments from our own customers, um, you know, involving all facets of our business, including legal team, all on the same platform. So we communicate together. We track all of our um, our our workflows together and we're able to report on it to give us one source of truth. So that is huge uh, technology advancement, even though we've done no development ourselves. Um, Off the shelf, it's a great product um, and it's called Soft Tools. So yeah, um, so that's what we've done to be able to break down those silos of information and, and bring it all together and elevate it ready for the next step in digital transformation.
0: Fantastic. Mm. And again, I mean, as we start to look to the future, I mean, you know, uh, generative AI, chat GPT <laughs> is all over the news. And I mean, it <laughs> yes. every day there's a, a new test, a new, uh, new finding, good, bad, indifference. I mean, how are you looking at sort of uh, embracing some of these newer technologies uh, going forward?
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there is a lot um, to look forward to in the future. I think um, when I look back on the evolution of technology, the tech titans that we know today who started 30 or 40 years ago, um, they they were in a very fortune, fortunate position. They had centuries of social, industrial and laterally, you know, um, more basic technological evolution, upon which they could launch their own version of what we today call disruption. You know, they were the unicorns of the day. Um, And I'm thinking of Microsoft, Apple, IBM, you know, those kinds of organizations. And I think people are wondering, is there anything left you know, to are there any more unicorns? And I would say absolutely. one hundred percent. you know evolution in technology is happening at more rapid pace than we've ever seen before. Um, Covid nineteen was the, one of the best examples. it It launched our entire world, um, probably ten years ahead of where it was going to be in a very short space of time. So, uh, you know, and, and today, I know people use the word AI a lot. We've been using it for years in the technology industry, but I, I think that sometimes that development and the application of AI, is, it can be easily misunderstood. But the turning point really is, uh, as we've seen through the media, as you've mentioned, um, is that in the latter part of last year, ChatGPT, as an example of an AI platform, has made itself readily available to the public. And, um, and that now has again brought it to the forefront of a lot of business um, businesses minds. So I think ultimately the question is how do we use it um, you know especially for larger organizations who don't already have research and development teams um, that have their own AI tech and you know for me, it comes, I'm able to speak from a position of a larger organization, but also trying to apply that to a smaller organization. So it's, it's really interesting. I think it's about being on the front foot um, and, and, and considering three really important concepts and around the potential for its use, um, you know, the people and, and how it will impact people and also around process. And I know those, the three Ps, it might sound a little bit boring, but actually when I started to think about it and research it a little bit more for myself, um, what I found was, you know, the potential can be very quickly, easily assessed. You know, what is your business need? Is it unique? Probably, you know, if it's not, something will be out there available for you on the shelf. And and to to sort of test this for myself, you know, I, I threw in plain English into chat GPT, as many people out there are probably doing, you know, build me a JavaScript application that can be used by a retail consumer on the internet um, and has a shopping cart and a catalog. And I thought about it for a second and it spat it all right back to me, all of the code. But the question is, that's great. I've got this code and this generative form, you know, has come out of this gener- generative platform but what do I do with it? Um, and, you know, people in technology will know what to do with it. Okay, of course, we we'll put it in a compiler, and then we'll make sure that it works. And, you know, then we'll um, deploy it, and we'll test it and, and, and you know, answer the whole risk profile concerns. But today, in today's world, we still need people to do that, right? So, you know, in the future, I think, probably not. And that is another form of disruption. Um, so, I think, you know, evolution of AI and technology will continue until, um, in a very positive way. But then you have to think about, well, what does that mean for people? And in a lot of cases, when you say AI, it incites a lot of fear. Um, but I think that's only natural because it's not currently known, right? What what the capabilities will fully become. Um, so I think it's about, you know, reskilling people or thinking about the skills that people need to augment what they currently do to shift them into, okay, I'll, I'll get that code out of the generative platform. And now I need to do this, which somebody else might have done, or, you know, it might be a huge, big manual process. So I think there's lots of opportunity for people in there. And then when you talk about process, it's really about risk appetite. You know, how are you going to control what comes out of this thing? um how are you going to apply it to your business in a safe way um so yeah i think there are many advancements to be be made and um being on the front foot will help you harness it in your business
0: very interesting Mm. and i'm going to ask you uh, uh, a futuristic (laughs) futuristic question now which technology are you most excited about going forward
1: oh my goodness I, I, look, I, I just had a big long answer about AI. I think I'm really fascinated by it, I will be honest. Um, I think that when we um, start to really understand it and its capabilities and not be afraid of it and learn to apply it within, within, um, uh, within a business in our day-to-day life uh, and be able to trust it, um, you know, it will be um, a, a huge turning point for, the, for, for us as, as a people.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for that. No problems. So um, we're coming to the end of today's discussion. And I think, you know, it's been very interesting, you know, listening about your your journey from sort of Canada, the Bahamas, (laughs) Scotland, Singapore, I mean, and the number of roles you've held, you know, working your way up, um, you know, coming to CTO and then going to to a startup. I mean, for all those aspiring technology leaders out there, you know, what advice would you actually give them? You know, what have you found that's actually helped you in your career development?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, earlier I mentioned the inflection point that I had when moving from a desktop support engineer into team leader. Um, I think it's important to to rest on those inflection points for a short period of time, really evaluate. They will become obvious to you. If if you haven't had them already, they're inevitable. Um, And there are moments that you can take to yourself to understand, you know, what is it that makes you happy? What are you passionate about? Um, and, and when you find uh, something you are passionate about, throwing yourself into it will really be rewarding. Um, in addition to that, I think what I've found certainly through my career is keeping my network. You know, you might move on from a job. But that doesn't mean you need to move on from the people that were you worked with. So keeping those people, you know, at hand might be two or three years you haven't spoken to them. But if you had a really good working relationship with them, they they too will have advanced in their career and they'll have lots of learning to share with you. So making sure you keep in touch with those people, and and out of that, sometimes a mentor will emerge. So I think really keeping a good mentor is is an important thing. Um, you know, someone to bounce ideas off and and just you know check that your compass is pointed in the right direction you know for you so yeah don't be don't be afraid to reach out to people for advice it's really important
0: fantastic mm. fantastic well that brings us to the end of today's uh discussion i'd like to thank uh, patricia <laughs> druken coo of bell procurement management once more for spending some time with us today um i hope you found it interesting as did i and uh once again, my name's Chris Holmes, editor at large for CIO ASEAN. Thank you all very much, and if you've got any questions or comments, please feel feel free to drop me a note on LinkedIn.
1: Thanks Chris.